to the gathering church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm our lead pastor. Hey, big thanks to our creative team for that short film for uh, the opening up this series. You guys did a great job. That thing is so much fun. Yeah, give me a hand. Um, today, I, I'm so excited to be here with you as we get into our second week of a series called Back to School. Back to School. Back to School is kind of all around us this time of year. Uh, if you've got kids, then you've been all up in it for the last few weeks, preparing, getting the supplies, getting them ready, and then once they get into school, trying to, you know, uh, utilize that eight hours as best you can, and then picking them up from school and remembering that homework is a lot harder now than it was when you were in school, trying to trying to figure out how to do math in new ways and things like that, and Back to school season is upon us, and I, I remember what, what our students are going through right now in the back to school season, because I think what happens is in the summertime, they haven't been listening to anybody. I mean, they certainly haven't been listening to their parents, you know, and, and summer, summer, summer happens, and, and then they get back into school, and we've got to learn how to refocus. You've got to learn how to, how to pay attention again, how to do homework again, how to, how to get back in the game. I, I always struggled to pay attention and to focus when I was in school. It was a hard, hard thing for me, especially in those first couple weeks of school. I, I remember I was in the fifth grade, and we were only about two weeks into uh, the school year, and I was in Mrs. Gore's class. And at the time, I had one of those lunch boxes that was a, a hard igloo cooler lunch box. It was like a, a miniature slide top cooler. You remember these things? They were great. And uh, I had this, this cooler, and what I had done is taken the contents out of it. And while Mrs. Gore was teaching, I was putting it on my head and telling everybody it was a George Washington hat. Now, in retrospect, that did not look anything like a George Washington hat. But that's what I believed I looked like, and I was having a great time just being hilarious, leaning back in my chair a little bit. And at the moment that Mrs. Gore said, John Mark, cut it out, it startled me a little bit. And I, I was leaning back in the chair, and I tipped. 
and my chair fell backwards and my head hit the wall as I was falling backwards and it pushed that cooler all the way down over my face, completely smooshing my nose flat. I mean, and it was on there. And we had three people trying to pull that cooler off my head, could not get it. So somebody had to walk me down to the nurse's office because I couldn't see anything. It was just a cooler head walking down the hallway to the nurse's office, and they had to use Vaseline, had to rub it up in there along my face to pull that cooler off my head. So I know what it's like to try to refocus again. It's hard. It's hard. (laughs) It gets you into all kinds of trouble. And in this series, really what we want to do is talk about uh, what happens, I think, after we've been believers for a little while. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, I think it's normal to hit a summer season. You know, when you first enter into a relationship with Jesus, I think we do a lot of work on the front end. We want to be like Jesus. We're excited to be Christians. We, we're, 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 we're new in our faith, and, and we're pursuing everything that that means. But then I think after some time, we get a little bit comfortable in it. You know, maybe you've been a, a follower of Jesus for a few months, or maybe it's been decades. And I think no matter what season you're in, we go through these summer seasons where we, we kind of relax a little bit on our pursuit of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what can happen during these summer seasons is we lose our focus. And so what I want to do in this series is revisit some of the fundamentals, some of the basics of our faith. Talk a little bit about what these things are that we get so excited about as new Christians in an effort to help us refocus a little bit, to, to get back in the game, to, to get back into the school mode of, of putting our heads down and doing everything that we can to live more and more the way that we were made to live. If you're in here and you're with us today and you don't yet follow Jesus, maybe you're, you're on this spiritual journey right now. You're asking questions. You're, you're trying to, to, to find the, the missing pieces somewhere and you're looking here. I think this is a great time for you to be with us because as we pursue this series and seek to kind of get ourselves back in a position uh, where we are pursuing our faith, you get to understand what it was like when we first entered into our faith and and why we entered into our faith, and what those things are that make us want to pursue it harder and harder. And so we're glad you're here. Uh, uh, We're kind of basing this series off a passage in Psalms, a psalm called Psalm 51. Uh, And in verse 12, it says, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Another version says, uphold within me a willing spirit. Last week, we talked about restoring the joy of my salvation. David had written this psalm after many decades had passed since he entered into his relationship with God. Over that time, he had entered into this kind of summer season when when he forgot what it was like to be called and anointed and and given purpose and direction and, and given new life in his relationship with God. And as a result of forgetting that and and sitting back and not really pursuing it anymore, he'd made some bad decisions, some mistakes that had cost him deeply. And he prays this prayer in Psalm 51 with this cry at the heart of it, God, help me to get back what I once had. Restore me to the joy of my salvation and uphold a willing spirit within me. So last week, we talked about why we started following Jesus in the first place. I shared a lot of my story with you. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to get on our website and give it a listen. 
my hope is that by sharing with you why I started following Jesus, you would remember why you started following Jesus, that it would encourage you, that it would, it would restore some joy and, and it reignite that spark inside of you. Today, I want to talk about what it means to uphold a willing spirit within us, to, to get this willing spirit, this willing spirit that David had before all of this happened. I think the willing spirit that he was talking about is, is that feeling we have when we first start following Jesus of just wanting to do better. We're willing. We're willing to change. We're, we're willing to, to, do, to, do, to do the work, to, to get to know him more, to, to, to go to church as much as we can, to get up and, and read scripture and study and, and do everything that we can to learn more about him and to know more about him and, and really to, to find freedom from these areas of our lives that we desperately need freedom from. I see if you're here this morning and you don't yet follow Jesus, I believe that there are areas of our lives that we all need freedom from. I think there's hurts, hang-ups, that there's sin, that there's patterns in our lives that we, we want to be free from. In fact, maybe you're here this morning because you know that there are things in you that you can't go forward with, that, that are keeping you from reaching your dreams, keeping you from your potential. And, and so I, I believe that Freedom is available to us in those areas, but it takes some work. And when we first enter into a relationship with Jesus, often we're willing to do the work, but as time happens, it begins to fade. And so let me talk for a minute just about a couple of things that I notice in new believers that I think, I think start to drift away as time comes between us and the moment that we start in our Christian faith. First, I think the new believers have an awareness of sin, an awareness of sin. I, I think often uh, that our awareness of sin, that this, this ability to see these areas of our lives that we, we want to change is a part of why we start to follow Jesus in the first place. Romans 2.4 says it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It is his kindness that draws us in because we know something is wrong that we want different. We want, we want to be in relationship with him and we've seen that his grace makes a way for us so we enter into it. It's, uh, we're drawn to faith by passages like Romans 8 verse 1 through 4 that says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We, we desire that freedom. We, we, wanna, we, wanna, we wanna know what it feels like to not be burdened by the life that we've lived so far. We, 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 we've seen some of the decisions that we've made and, and we just wanna, we wanna, we wanna make changes. And so we enter into this relationship with Jesus hoping to make those changes. I think often when we first enter into a relationship with God, we have a need for closeness with God. We pursue it heavier, harder. I think it's a natural law that in relationships, there is, a, there is a certain proximity that comes with a new relationship, a desire for proximity. When Raelle and I first started dating, we were that couple that is always maintaining one point of contact 
contact at all times? Do you know this couple is an annoying couple, if we can all be honest? There's always some part of your body touching their body, you know, like we only need one cushion on the couch, you know what I mean? Hips got to be touching, like we're walking and we're like holding hands or holding like one finger, right? And we're standing in a crowd, like I got arms here, like down here, like, you know, you know what I'm saying? And so there's always this point of contact, right? And over time, that shifts and changes a little bit, you know. Now that we've been together for 11 years, that's not quite the, the way it is anymore. In fact, we, got a, we recently got a sectional sofa, and it's great because she gets to lay on the chase lounge, and I lay over here like 16 feet away on the sofa part of it, and there's so much space in between us for all of our snacks, it's great. It's a good situation. You, the longer that you're married, the more attractive the king-size bed becomes to you, you know? You're like, how about if there was an entire bed size between me and my partner? That would be fantastic. Let's, let's get one made for four people instead. And so the, the, there's, this, there's this kind of fading that happens over time on our need for proximity. I think this happens in our relationship with God as well. That when we first enter in, we just want to be in his presence as much as we can. We, we want to go to church as much as we can. We want to join everything that they offer. Anytime there's a sign-up sheet, we put our name on it. We want to be around him. We get up early. We pray. We, we read the Bible. We do all of this stuff because we desire closeness. But we get more and more comfortable as time goes on. We say, oh, I don't necessarily, I don't need quite as much closeness between us. And it starts to fade. And then finally... I think we often see a fresh desire to be free when we enter into a relationship with Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And we want that new creation. We want to be new. We want the old to die. We, we want these patterns that we've struggled with. We want these blinders that we've been wearing. We, we want this, this addiction that we've always carried. We want it to fade away, and we want to be free. We want, the Bible says, the word freedom over and over and over and over again. Freedom. We want freedom. We want to be free. We desire it, and so we want to work for it. But then life happens. And as, as time gets between us and all these new feelings, it creates complacency. Time is the great creator of complacency. Have you had a piece of furniture in your home that has no more business being in your home? You know, the recliner that your husband should have got rid of when you got married, you know, that, that sofa that has had a hole worn in it now for years, but you live there, it's with you all the time, and the longer that this piece of furniture is in your home, the less you see it, the less you notice it. It just starts to become a part of your life. But then somebody new walks in and they make like this stank face as soon as they see the furniture, like, oh my gosh. And you're reminded, oh my goodness, we should get rid of this couch. I think time creates complacency that sometimes we've just been following Jesus so long that we got comfortable with the way things are. That we fought in the beginning and we pursued him in the beginning and we wanted freedom in the beginning, but it's just been so long that it's hard to, hard to get back in that mentality again. Uh, and that leads to us uh, finding more frustration because sometimes I think we slow down our, our, our pursuit of freedom because we realize that the things we wanted freedom from were hard to get freedom from. 
that, that we, we got all excited when we entered into a relationship with Jesus that it promised us a new life, that we would be a new creation, and yet we discovered upon becoming a Christian that we were still us, and we still had these issues, and that they weren't easy to just walk out of, and then that creates shame. See, the longer we carry these things, the more shame we have about it. Maybe you've been a Christian 15 years and you still have that same struggle that you wanted to be free of when you first entered into that relationship with Jesus. And you're so embarrassed by it. You don't want your spouse to know. You don't want your friends to know. You can't let your, 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 small, your life group know about it. You just, you just start to carry a shame with it. And that shame leads us to build up wall around a wall, around a wall, around a wall. And on the very outer wall is this big smile painted that says everything is fine. Everything is great, and, and we go into church, and we, we go to, to our life group, and we, we have conversations with people, and we just, we just pretend like everything's all right, but inside, we are crumbling. See, I just don't believe we were made to live that way. I believe that we were made to live with freedom, that he wants to offer you freedom, that he's got dreams for you, that while we are all clouded up with all of this sin and hurt and habit, that we can't see those dreams. We can't see the purpose he has for us. We can't see that there is more for us, and he has so much more for us. And so this morning, I, I, I want to talk about what it would look like if we could just recapture a little bit of that fire. You know, when I, when I first became a Christian, I had a whole lot of things that I wanted to get free from. I, I shared a lot of my story last weekend, and so if you weren't here, uh, go give it a listen. I'll give you some highlights, though. I, I, I was... When I became a Christian, I was depressed to the point of self-harm, uh, consistent. I was mean. I had a filthy mouth, not just in speaking profanity. I was a sailor. That's fair. I mean, my mouth was filthy in that everything that I said was, was corruptive. Uh, one of the things that I would do was just try to find these younger guys that would just get on the boat and just try to bring them down to where I was at, just try to influence them. I would say mean things. I would complain all the time. I, I, would, I would change the, the culture of a room the moment I walked into it from my words. I had a filthy mouth. I was addicted to cigarettes. I drank too much. I lied all the time just to see if I could get away with it. And when I gave my life to Jesus, I was motivated to change and motivated to get free of all of this. I had stayed up, the, the day I gave my life to Jesus, I stayed up late, like all night that night, just telling all the guys on night watch about Jesus, telling them how, how my life was gonna be so different, how changed I was, how different I was. But the next morning I woke up all excited to be a Christian and to have found this, this new lifestyle and, and to be free of who I was before. And I woke up and the problem was when I woke up, I was still me. I, I woke up and I went to breakfast and, and right after I had my breakfast, I walked outside for that morning cigarette, sat there, complained about the breakfast that I had just eaten. I, I started making fun of people immediately just out of, a, a, out of a reflex and a desire to make somebody else laugh at somebody else's expense. I, I, I remember I, I, just, I just struggled to say, hey, wait a minute, that's not who I'm supposed to be anymore. And it was hard. There was, a, there was a lot that I had to retrain in my mind. I had to teach myself 
to speak in a different way. I, I, those first few weeks, I remember the big struggle was I had to learn to do something I'd never done before in my life. Before I let words come out of my mouth, I thought about them. It was hard. Still hard. That one has never gotten easy for me. I, I, I spent the next six months kicking my smoking habit. I, I, rem, I, I, quit, I quit saying cuss words, which was hard for me. I, I just believed that I shouldn't, shouldn't talk like everybody else anymore, that I should use honor with the words that I spoke. And that was hard to kick because it was instinctual. It was habit. It was all these little things that had to change. And those were a big fight. They were a struggle. But once I kind of started to see freedom from those things that I, I'll say are, are smaller issues of change, then I started to get into the really hard stuff. My depression was hard to get freedom from. I, I was kind of under the impression that I was going to be free of that as soon as I became a Christian. I was kind of under the impression that I would wake up and never feel sad again. That it would be easy to get out of bed in the morning. That thoughts of self-harm would disappear. That, that I would have this new passion for living. But it didn't happen that way. I had to use every resource and tool at my disposal and fight. And there were a lot of times when I just thought, this is who I am. This is who I'll always be. It's not worth it. I should give up. And it's so, so easy to do that. I think, I think so often we desire the freedom that the Bible promises us. But when we get into the fight, we get into the battle that it requires to get there, we get so discouraged so quickly. And the enemy just starts speaking lies into your, into your heart that says, no, this is who you are. You can't change. This sin was on your father, and it was on his father before him. Who do you think you are that you can be free of it? And, and, and the temptation, and often really just what happens with time is we just start to hear that as our voice over and over again. And we just say, this is who I am. But you can be free even of these things. For me, it took a, a full year of fighting tooth and nail with everything that I had to be free of the more difficult things that I was waging war with inside of me. That's me. Some people, it takes years. Some people, it takes longer. Some, some people, it's quick. Some, some people, God just heals right away. The point is, the story is different for every single person, but freedom is the end result. It's available to you. And so I, I want to offer you a couple practical things because I just don't believe that that's how we were made to live. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. Paul uses death and life over and over again in Scripture to describe what God has done in us. There is a, a story in John chapter 12 of a man named Lazarus who was very literally dead, not figuratively, just dead, very dead. And Jesus said, hey, wake up. And Lazarus said, okay, Jesus, and came on out of the grave. And, and it's kind of this awesome story, and we actually see, you know, Lazarus kind of goes on and he lives life after that, which is very very neat. But just imagine if the very next day Lazarus just kept on acting like he was dead. Just freaked everybody out. Just laid in, in his bed, didn't move, real still. 
say a darn thing to anybody, you know? Can you imagine? That's what Paul says it's like when we continue to live in our sin and we don't fight for the freedom we've been given. He says it's like you've been resurrected from the dead, but you just keep on living like dead people. You need to start living with the life you've been given. It's fresh. It's new. Not everybody gets this kind of, you, you, it's, it's, not, it's not just a small thing to be given a new lease on life, to be a new creation. So don't keep on living in the sin that you were once dead in. Use your whole body. He, he goes on. He says, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law, and instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. We've been set free from the sin and death that controlled us before we knew Jesus. But that doesn't mean there isn't work to do. He keeps going and says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You could be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you, and now you're free from your slavery to sin, and you become slaves instead to righteous living. I don't want to keep living like I'm a slave to sin. I want to live like somebody who's been made free. So even though it's hard sometimes, I still fight for freedom. Even though I wanted to give up, I fought through my depression using every tool available to me. And if I could be honest, I'm still fighting. There's still days, you know, there's, there's still seasons where I've got to have increased accountability, where I, need, where I need more people around me, where I need more of the Holy Spirit's power because I need more freedom. I'm not finished yet. You won't be either. But it is worth the fight. And what I want is for the desire in me, the willing spirit within me to find freedom, to just be as fresh today as it was 10 years ago when I gave my life to Jesus. And so there's some simple ways that I think we can keep that spirit alive within us. The first is to put God first in every area of your life. What a simple thing, what, what a simple way to say an incredibly hard thing to do. Put God first in every area of your life. Inside of you, there are two natures, two spirits. There is a spirit that, that you were born with, and it is broken. And the spirit that is inside of you will be at war forever with the spirit of God that also lives in you. And the spirit of you wants you to do what is right for you, what you want to do, what feels good to you, the things that, the things that immediately feel good, that, that your brain tells you will be good. But the spirit of God inside of you wants you to live in a way that is better that brings you closer to the dreams God has you, to the potential that he has for you, to all of the gifts and the blessings that he wants to bestow upon you. And the way that we continue to move closer towards his spirit and further away from the brokenness that is inside of us is to continue to put him first every single day, in every way that you can, in everything that you can think of. We place him first in our lives. Paul says in that passage I just read, don't you realize you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be like a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. When we put things in God's position in our lives, whether it's money or position, power, the desire to feel good, people, even our families, when it takes that first position in our hearts, we become a slave to them. One of the reasons I was able to find freedom from some really hard areas to find freedom from 
was because when I first believed, I made a commitment to put God first in every area of my life every single day. And I haven't always got it right, but I've done it. And it's changed the way that I see the world. The first commandment in the Ten Commandments that is given out, it starts in Exodus chapter 20. It says, God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He starts the Ten Commandments by reminding them that he is the God of freedom, that he's the deliverer, that he is the one who wants to offer them freedom every single day. And then he gives them these laws. And the first one, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Put God first in every area of your life and the other stuff gets easier. It gets easier, easier to follow. That's why it's the first commandment because if we get that one right, the rest of them kind of fall in line. Put God first in every area of your life. Give God the first of everything. Go all in. I'm gonna give you three practical things that I think if you give him the first of these three things, that the rest of it gets easier. It kind of falls in line because it's, it's, it's more of an idea. I need to give God the first position in my marriage, the first position in my home, the first position in my heart. Easier said than done, isn't it? But I think there are some practical things that if we can do these things, that it gets easier to put him first in those areas that are harder. So first, just give him the first part of your day. I just think it just will change everything in your life if you start giving God the first part of your day. And this is hard, I know, I know, I know. You gotta get kids up and get them to school at 5.30 in the morning. You gotta, you gotta be at work, you, your first shift, you're, you've got all this going on. I know it's so hard, but I promise you it is worth it. Find a way because it is worth it. I, I, I make this a priority in my life. I, I, I don't always get it perfect. See, I think the best thing that you could do is give them the first hour of your day. Best thing you could do. Best thing you could do for your entire future and every person you will come in contact with for the rest of your life is give God the first hour of every single day. But you know what? It will make a big difference if you just give him the first 10 minutes. That's my, my bare minimum is I, I make sure that I'm at least getting up 10 minutes before the kids get up so I can listen to my favorite worship song. Right now it's God, You're So Good by Passion. And I just sing it and I worship and then I'll just read. I'll read the first chapter. I've got a reading plan that's like a bajillion chapters and, and I'll read the first part of it. This is the first chapter. The first thing that it tells me to read is a psalm or a proverb usually. And I'll read it and I'll study it. And then I'll just, I'll just pray. I'll just pray. I'll pray. One of the ways that we just talked about in our Books of Prayer series, I'll usually do a prayer of Jabez or I'll do like an abbreviated version of the tabernacle prayer. And I'll just pray for a minute and just in 10 minutes, 10 minutes. And it changes my perspective for the rest of the day. It makes it easier for me to give him the first of everything else that day. Because you know what? Some days I, I don't get this right. I forget this. Some, some days... Some days I don't wake up until Eleanor is standing like right there in her faces. You, you know this, parents. It's like, ah! You know, it's like, whoa, there's a person. If you like horror movies, have kids. You'll live in one. It's <laughs> paranormal activity. One morning, I, I woke up at one in the morning and, at one time, and Eleanor was just standing in my doorway like this. I, look, I shot up in the bed like, what are you doing? I need to go potty. How long have you been standing there? I don't know. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Sometimes I let myself wake up that way. And can I tell you something? Every time that I do that, within the first two hours of my day, Rael will say, what did you do differently this morning? You're not you. It's just it's without fail, without fail. If you give him the first part of your day, it will change the rest of your day. And if you get consistent with it, it can change the rest of your life. Just, just real simple. 
Second thing is give them the first part of your week. Oh, I just think this is so important, what we're doing right here. I've, I've, I mean, I just believe it. I, I believe that coming together and worshiping him corporately, being around other believers who are pursuing freedom in the same way that you're pursuing freedom, that being inspired together, that worshiping together, and then that serving together. Be a part of it. Bring people or stand out there and make people feel welcome and wanted. Go into our kids' ministry and create a lifelong impact on these kids. I'm just telling you, I believe it reorders your week in a way that makes an impact. I believe it. I believed it before I worked at a church, and I believe it even more now. I'm just, it just makes a difference. Give them the first part of your day. Give them the first part of your week, and don't just, don't just be a spectator. Be a part of what God is doing here. Get on the dream team. Be a part of it. Give them the first part of your day. Give them the first part of your week. And I wouldn't say this last one if it hasn't changed my life. And that's just give God the first part of your finances. And here's why I want, I want to say this, because I really, really believe that if these three areas are aligned where he is getting the first in your life, that the rest of it will fall in line. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, it says, the purpose of the tithe is to teach you to put God first in your life. And for that reason, ever since I was 23 years old, and you could do the math, I, I became a Christian when I was 21. I didn't tithe for two years, okay? I had to figure it out. It's like everybody else. And so at 20, since I was 23 years old, the first 10%, not the second, not, not what's left over at the end of the month, not what I could afford to give, the first part of my budget went to him, gave it to him. Ever since I, since I was 23 years old, I haven't missed a month. And it's always the first. Because he doesn't, he doesn't ask for what's left. He doesn't have to, And that's not always been easy. In fact, when we lived in California, I could tell you that our two-bedroom apartment was 54% of our income. It was stretched. But the decisions that we had to make in those seasons of financial strain were never how much can we cut what we give to the church. It was always, all right, what can we do with our grocery budget, eating out, entertainment? How do we move these areas around? Because I, I believe that our money is the number one thing. In fact, the Bible says it over and over and over, that money is the number one thing that knocks God out of his position in our hearts. We try to be our own security. We try to be our own, our, our own safety net. We, we try to we pursue it the way that we should be pursuing freedom. We, we place it in this high position in our lives, and that's why God says, take it out of there. Give me back a portion of what I've given you. So give him the first part of your day, give him the first part of your week, and the first part of your finances. And I believe that it will become easier to give him the first of everything. Give him the first of everything. And it will become easier and easier to pursue freedom. Second thing is get vulnerable. Get vulnerable. And we say this all the time because it is so true. The finding freedom really happens in life groups. Life groups are the place where this really takes place. I, I, I like to say that in, in service on Sundays, you can receive inspiration or revelation, but it is in life groups where you experience transformation. That, that just doesn't, this is, is 35 minutes. If I'm, if I'm speedy enough, you know, today it might be 40. But 40 minutes isn't enough time to change your life. It happens in community with people, and you've got to be vulnerable for it to take place. A vulnerability is hard. I think over time as Christians, we get more and more embarrassed about our sin. And so we put more and more of a mask up to protect ourselves. 
to protect our, res- our reputations. Well, I'm in the band, and so I can't let people know that I struggle with sin. I, I can't let them know who I really am. What will they think of me? Or, I'm the life group leader. I can't tell my life group that I'm struggling with an area because then they'll all leave. Nobody will want to be in that life group of somebody who has issues. They don't want to be around. I'm a Christian. Christians are supposed to have it all together. I've got to be good enough. I've got to get my my act together. And so I just need to make sure that everybody thinks I've got my act together. But instead, you're crumbling inside. Vulnerability is hard, but it is absolutely necessary. We build up these questions in our minds. What's going to happen if they find out who I really am? What's going to happen if they find out about my addiction? What's going to happen if they find out about my sin? What's going to happen? I can tell you what will happen. You will finally begin to find freedom. You will find peace, joy that you didn't know you had access to. That's what will happen if you take the mask off. I understand that vulnerability is hard. It's a big part of our culture at the gathering. It's a big part of our staff culture. And can I be honest, it doesn't come natural to anybody. But it, but it is so big, uh, I think, uh, an important thing, a part of our, our walk with Jesus. that We've made it a big part of our staff culture. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in my office with Robbie and just said, hey man, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I've had to sit down and be like, hey man, I'm not okay. Here's where I messed up. And I need your help. I need you to help me for a time. I need, I need, you, I need you to help me. And there's been times when Robbie's done the same thing. Hey man, I'm not okay. Those three words just have so much power. I'm not okay. I need help. I was in California. I was 25 when I got my first accountability partner. If you don't know what an accountability partner is, it's just a it's a smart practice, even outside of the church and in places where people are really trying to find freedom from addiction. This is an important part of it. And I had this accountability partner, two dudes, you know, and our first time getting together with the understanding that that's what this meeting is, it was so awkward. It was terrible. Sitting there having to tell, hey, man, you know, listen, here's a sin I've always struggled with that nobody knows about except you now. And, and you know, here's a, here's, here's a thing that I want you to ask me about, you know, and here's, here's sins that I'm likely to commit. And I want, you to, I want you to ask me questions about how well I'm doing with this. I was hard. It became the best relationship outside of my marriage that I've ever had. I can't even tell you the way that that brought me freedom. We went through some of the hardest seasons of our lives together, me and this guy. I treasure him to this day. Still have an accountability partner I meet with every week where I share with him things that I wouldn't, I just, I don't have to share with anybody else, you know, but I get vulnerable. Now, vulnerability is hard, but it is necessary. It says in John, 1 John 1, 7 through 9, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the enemy wants you to keep your sin in darkness. He wants you to put your hurts in darkness, your habits in darkness, your mindsets in darkness. He wants you to hide them because in darkness there is no freedom, in darkness there is no joy, in darkness there is no hope. But you've been given hope and you've been given light and you've been given access to light. And so we've got to bring these things into, if we walk into the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Real community means being vulnerable with one another. And in that place of vulnerability, he says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Nobody in your life group is without sin. 
Nobody in your life group isn't struggling with something. We got to get vulnerable and start to admit this to one another so we can start to find freedom. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You can be pure, you can be free, you can be finished with the struggle, but it will not happen unless you get vulnerable. Finally, last thing is this. Just find freedom. Find freedom. Put God first. Give him the first part of everything. Get vulnerable. And the next step is just simple. Find freedom from things that you didn't know that you could, that you long gave up on, new sins that have come into your lives, things that you thought you would always carry, that, that just you, you believed were generational, that you believed were, were just a part of your personality. I believe your personality can change if it doesn't honor God. Mine did. Mine did. People would say, what's John Mark's personality? Oh, you know, he's kind of mean. <laughs> he's, 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 he's always got a dirty joke to help you buy. I mean, that's John Mark. John Mark, he's wild. He's a troublemaker, if I could be honest. That was my personality. I didn't like me. It's different now. I hope that people would tell you different things about me. That if they asked to describe me, none of those words would be in the description because I'm not that person anymore. The old is gone, the new has come. I'm a new creation. But it didn't happen overnight. It didn't just happen because I read my Bible one day. It didn't just happen because I, I prayed a prayer. It happened because I got vulnerable. I got in community. I let people know what, who, who I wanted to be. I said, here's who I wanna be, here's who I am. Can you help me make a map together? Can we, can we work towards this? To, can you help make me somebody different, somebody else? Because I, I can see that God's got dreams for me. He's got more for me. He's got purpose for me. He's got plans for me. I can see where he's leading me, but I just don't think I can get there on my own. And God says, there's good news for you. That's why I created the church. That's what it's for. It is a place for people to know God to find freedom, to discover their purpose, and to make a difference. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's who we're supposed to be as the church. I'll tell you something that is a universal truth this morning. What I starve dies and what I feed thrives. If you continue to feed your addiction, it will grow. If you continue to ignore your sin, it will persist. If you continue to live in the mindset you've always lived in, it will never change. Feed something different. Feed the Holy Spirit that is inside of you. Oh, he's given you just all the resources you need to be free. He gave you the church and a place to be vulnerable, a place full of other people who've found freedom from what you want freedom from. They're here. They're in this room right now. They can help you get there. And he gave you his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. It says in Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.7, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power. The same power that called Lazarus out of the grave. The same power that resurrected Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. It can resurrect you from the ways that you have felt dead inside. 
It can bring you healing in areas that you thought you would always be broken. It can break addiction that has lasted for generations. The power of the the living God is inside of you. It's not a spirit of timidity. He's given you what you need. It is a spirit of power. It is a spirit of love. You have a capacity to love and to be loved inside of you that is greater than anything you were born with, that is greater than anything you've seen or experienced outside of that spirit. And it says it is a spirit of self-discipline. You can feed something else. You can starve those things you want to die, and you can feed the thing you want to thrive. But you've got to stay hungry. Paul says to Timothy, the young pastor, he says, fight the good fight of faith and remember the eternity you've been given. Fight the fight. It's worth it. And it's so easy to just get discouraged when it's hard. But that's what community is for. If you haven't joined a life group yet, get out your phone in church right now. Go to gatherashville.org and pull down the menu and find one and join it. You need these people and they need you. We need each other for freedom. You can go on the app. We've got an app. Robert told me all about it. Hey, Josh, I thought it was Robert. Robert keeps telling me, use the app. I've been using the app, man, and it is awesome. Join a life group. Get, get in a freedom group if you really want to get serious about finding freedom. It will challenge you in a way you've never been challenged before, and sometimes that's what we need. But freedom is available to you. It's not some distant dream. It's not something to just forget about and ignore. It is there. It is real. It is available. Pursue it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, that you are a God of freedom, that you don't just do lip service when you promise us freedom, but God, you give us everything we need to get there. And so give us the courage and the strength to pursue freedom, God. For every person that came in this room today who's just grown complacent, okay with the status quo, okay with the, the world, that they're, the toxic life they've been living, that God, you would renew a spirit of energy inside of them that you would wake up a passion inside of them to pursue freedom in a new way. For every person in this room today, God, who is struggling with shame because they don't think it's okay to be hurting, okay to have had this sin because they don't think they can get free, God, we just expel that spirit of shame from this place in Jesus' name, and instead we call a spirit of hope and a spirit of a promise, of a future and of a dream that you have for them, of an assignment you've prepared for them, God. And in this place this morning, I ask that you would wake up a spirit of freedom in this place that we would pursue you in a fresh way and in a new way. Every person in this room who does not yet know you, God, I just ask that they would just, just hear us speak of this freedom that is available to us and desire it with all of their hearts. If you're in here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus, you're not in a relationship with him, this is available to you too. It's not just it's not an exclusive club. You don't have to be, you don't have to, you don't have to be invited. You can, you can just step right into a relationship with God right now and experience the joy of your salvation. Let me, let me just lead you in this prayer, if that's you this morning. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins and show me the pathway to freedom from them. Thank you for your cross and for giving me the keys to death and life. Thank you for making it possible 
for me to be free. I give myself to you. Everything that I am from this moment forward is yours. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.